Job 38, verse 1, and it reads as follows. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is it that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof? If thou knowest, who hath stretched out the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth, as if it had issued out of the womb? Let's pray before we look into the book of Job today. Dear God, we thank you that we have a time to worship you. We thank you for all your blessings, your glory, your honor, your, your salvation. God, it's uh, so immense that we're privileged to have a chance to worship you, that we have a chance to hear your word spoken. And help me, humbly and best I can, to share your message with this congregation right now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue and we wrap up our study, our short study, of the book of Job today. Last time, we had a little brief interlude, right? We talked about how even in the book of Job, there's mention of Job's redeemer, right? In his time of sorrow, he had a redeemer. And it was Easter Sunday when I spoke, so we talked about how his redeemer is that someone and the same redeemer that we have here today, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord. But before that, before that, when we first started this a couple months ago, we talked about generally what the book of Job is about. And, you know, we talked about how it's a book that we all know, yet a lot of it we don't know, right? It's this great work of literature. Even non-Christians say this is uh, one of the finest examples of ancient poetry and storytelling, right? That everyone knows this story, right? Christian and non-Christian alike, most people, when you talk about Job, they have some idea of what you're talking about, right? Last time, we did the brainstorm, the brain cloud, right? And you guys were able to pretty much come up with a lot of what people associate with Job, right? Because you guys have probably heard it before, whether it be in church, whether it be through, you know, pop culture knowledge, whatever it is, Job's story is well known. But as we talked about last time, it's well known in the sense that people know what happened in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 42. But if you think about it numerically, that's only three chapters. This book of Job is 42 chapters long. What about those 39 chapters in the middle? What about all that stuff? That's what I tried to get at last time when we started looking at this. We tried to figure out what is in the rest of the story, right? We know the basic story from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 42, right? Chapter 1, chapter 2, that God lets Satan do all this stuff to Job to really mess up his life, right? His children die. He loses all his, uh, his wealth, his livestock, right? He himself gets uh, physical suffering, gets boils. All this stuff happens. And we know the ending, chapter 42, that throughout all these trials, Job did not curse God, right? And in the end, his riches were restored, right? But what about the middle? 39 chapters is a lot, right? This is not just empty space. God doesn't put stuff in his Bible just to, just to, to, to fill up space, right? There must be something to it. There must be something interesting in there. 
that you have to spend so much time, more time than the story that we all know, right? The story we know is only three chapters. 39 chapters is 13 times as long. Got to be something in there. So we talked about Job, the famous patient Job, faithful Job. But what about the rest of the story? And so we started looking at it last time with the first 20 some odd chapters. Again, it's so long, we don't have the time to go into verse by verse or even chapter by chapter. It would take us forever, right? And I know you guys want to hear about different biblical topics and different stuff, not just me rambling about Job for months and months and months. But I figure at least we take at least two times, two times to really look at what is the content and see what's in there. The first time we looked at the speeches back and forth between Job and his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, right? They take turns talking, right? One guy gives a speech, Job gives a response speech. Another guy gives a speech, Job gives a response speech. This goes on for chapters and chapters, for 20 some, some odd chapters, this back and forth. To sum it up in the quick version, right? The quick version, we have Job being very unhappy at the start, right? To be lamenting his situation. To feel horrible, right? Your kids died. You lost all your livestock. All this bad stuff happened to you. Of course he's going to feel horrible, right? To wish he was dead, basically. It's like, what is there? You know, he feels so bad. And his friends who have come to comfort him, they were there, that, were, that were there for him, but didn't know really what to say. And started talking generally about how you know, first, they talk generally, right, about how God is just and God punishes people when they deserve punishment, right? First, generally, and then getting more specific, saying, you know, Job, this is God's punishment for you. To call on him to admit his wrongdoing, his sin, the progression of those chapters. Yet, you see it, they get more and more accusatory as, ta- as the chapters go forward. And Job would start off very depressed and very uh, sad and even suicidal sounding. Gets more and more defensive sounding, right? As he gets all these accusations, as one might feel, right? After all these accusations, he gets more defensive and starts saying, Hey, look, no, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm going to admit to all this stuff that I did not do, right? That's not accurate either. And he gets defensive. And that's why they get these back and forth Speeches, back and forth speeches. On and on and on through 20 to, to 20, chapter 20, whatever it is, right? 20, 28, 29, 28, 29, 30, right? Today, we'll look at the, uh, the wrapping up of those speeches and then to the most interesting part, right? Which is, well, what does God have to say about all this? Because if you figure someone would know the answers and give the, the guidance, who would it be? It would be God, right? We're looking at that today, right? We looked at those friends last time, how lousy they were at comforting Job, coming up with all these accusations and stuff, how we, to be Christ-like, got to be more Christ-like in how he, we, how he comforted, right? To be supportive, uh, to be supportive friends rather than being accusatory, judgmental friends. That was last time. This time, we're going to look chapter 31 to the end, the last nine chapters the last 11 chapters, right? There's still a lot of stuff to cover. I hope, I hope, I hope by talking about this book in kind of an overview sense, it encourages you guys 
to read it in a more detailed way, to get an understanding, a better understanding of the story. I think looking at these chapters really gives us a better understanding of, of who Job is, Job the man, more so than just a generic story. And it informs us a lot more about us and our Christian walks. But we'll talk about that more today, too. But again, I encourage you guys all to read on, on your own, to see really in full detail the back and forth, the disagreements, the emotions, all that kind of stuff. It's all in there. That's the reason why even non-biblical people say this is a great work of literature, right? Because it really tells a really human, a human story. Chapters 31 to 37. Let's go on. Chapter 31 starts with Job continuing to defend himself. This is his last stand, kind of standing up there and pounding out that this is my statement of innocence, right? And so if you look in 31, and we won't look at all the verses, right? But if you look at starting verses uh, 31 onward, he asks a series of rhetorical questions that are kind of his defense. And the idea being that all the answers to these questions are, you know, are obvious and that they proclaim his innocence, right? He says, oh, verse like verse 3, isn't destruction for the wicked, right? Isn't punishment for the workers of iniquity, right? So because of that, he says, look, in verse 5, have I walked in vanity, right? Have I done deceit? In verse 6, uh, God knows my integrity, right? If I have turned the wrong way, verse 7, right? Right? Verse uh, 9, is, has my heart been deceived by a woman? Meaning, has he done adultery or anything like that, right? Verse 11, says, he says, have I done iniquity, right? That's, a ver- that, that's uh, being able to be punished, right? If I despise, verse 13, if I've despised my manservant or maidservant, have I treated my servants poorly, right? Right? Uh, and so on and so forth in this whole chapter 31. He continues to talk about all this stuff. Have I done this? Have I done that? Right? Has he lusted? Has he sinned? Has he treated people poorly in this way? And uh, an implication being answer is that no. Job hasn't done any of these things. Right? This is his stand. You guys keep trying to tell me I've done something wrong. Here's the list. I haven't done all these things. Right? And if I'm wrong, let God tell me I'm wrong. But he didn't think he's wrong at all. 31 is his kind of, his rhetorical defiant statement. That's the answer to all these uh, speeches that came before him. The back and forth speeches. So then we flow into chapters 32 to 37. Oh, I have a typo on my handout. 32 to 37, not 32 to 27. 32 to 37, we get a new voice out of all this. We get a new person speaking. So before, it was the three friends. It was Job. The new voice is this uh, person, Elihu. Elihu, it says here, was a younger guy. And evidently, he was just sitting here this whole time listening to these guys talk back and forth and speech around back and forth, right? And he comes in with his own perspective. So we've seen the Job perspective. We've seen the friend's perspective. Now this is the Elihu perspective on all this stuff. And his perspective is that everyone is wrong, right? Everyone is wrong. He's saying the friends have misstated how, how, how God is and God's righteousness and his uh, justice. And he says about Job that he has become too, too arrogant and filled up, that his defense is bordering on sinful, right? That he 
is talking so much and worried so much about himself, again, he's not thinking about God and God and his justice and God and his righteousness, right? Again, a little, you know, a bit accusatory of the way Job has acted. Now, saying, well, maybe you don't think that you've done anything wrong, but guess what? You're doing something wrong now. You're focusing so much on yourself, yourself, not thinking about uh, what about God. And so it is that Elihu talks for all these five chapters, laying this out. And it's a long speech, and you can read all about it. Again, we don't have the time to go in detail about all the stuff he says, right? But that's the way he reacts to this. He kind of brings a third view, a third opinion, against what Job is saying and against what the friends are saying, right? So this is it. We've had 37 chapters to build up to the part that we just read at the outset, right? 38 chapters to build up for it. We have the story. We had all the stuff that Job said. We had all the stuff that the friends said. Now we had all the opinions of Elihu, too. Now I get to the big part, right? Because we figure out what God says is probably the most important thing, right? What's God's answer to all that? These people have been debating back and forth. What's the cause of this? Is it because Job sinned? Is it because of this reason and that reason? Is he being hypocritical? Is he being that or that? You know, all this stuff boils up. Here is the climax. Verse 38 to 42, God says something, right? God gives us his answer, right, to all this. Everyone's been going back and forth and debating and talking. What does he say? God finally speaks in these four chapters. Well, let's talk about the content first before we do the analysis. Let's do the content. The content starts off in chapter, in verse 30, in chapter 38, verse 1, the part we read at the outset. It starts by humbling Job. So he's speaking to Job out of the whirlwind. And God first humbles Job. He humbles him by asking him some questions, by talking to him about creation. Right? We read in the verses. It says, Job, verse 4, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there at the time of creation? The answer is no, right? Right? Were you there when I laid the measures of earth, right? And stretched out the line upon it of earth? No, the answer is no, right? Do you know where the foundations of earth are fastened? Of course Job doesn't know, right? Do you know who laid the cornerstones of earth? No, he doesn't know. Do you know when all the stars were singing together and shouting to God for joy? Of course Job doesn't know. Do you know who shut up the seas, the doors of the sea, right? No, Job doesn't know. And he goes on and on in chapter 38 and chapter 39. He goes through the whole uh, expansion of creation and all the things that God knows that Job certainly doesn't know, that only God would know, right? And just to give a few highlights, right? Instead of looking through each verse, although I encourage you to read each verse on your own, right? He talks about knowing about the gates of death. He talks about knowing about where the light dwelleth and where the darkness comes from. Where does light and dark come from? God knows, right? Talks about snow and hail. He talks about, talks about wild goats and where they come from, right? He talks about 
talks about uh, 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 about lightning, right? He talks about lions and animals and where they get their food from. He talks about all these different things in chapters 38 and 39. In 38 and 39, he gives all the examples. Do you know where the hawk flies? Do you know where the eagle makes its nest? Do you know all these things? This is humbling to Job, right? This is putting him in his place. He and his friends have been asking all these questions. The, 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 the question you and I would ask, the why God question, why? And he starts off by putting, God in, by putting Job in his place. Let's remind you who you are, Job. Do you know all these things? Do you know about creation? Do you know how all the animals work? Do you know all this stuff? Guess what? I do. I'm God. I created everything. I am the God of everything. That's his first response to all this stuff going on. I am God. You don't know all this stuff. I know all this stuff. That's the first thing he says. Second thing he says is this. We look in chapters uh, 40 and 41. He gets even onto the micro level, right? Not just I create all these things. He says, let's look at this animal here. In verse 40, he talks about this animal, behemoth. It's called behemoth. Now, what animal is behemoth? We have no idea because, you know, language changes over time, right? And whatever animal they're talking about that was called behemoth back then, it doesn't have the same name today because we don't have an animal called behemoth nowadays, right? A lot of people have their own theories, right? Some people say, oh, behemoth must have meant dinosaur, right? Some huge animal. It could be dinosaur, right? Some people say it could mean like hippopotamus or something like that, which is a huge animal. Or elephant, right? Which is another huge animal. We don't know. It's some huge animal. So God says this, consider behemoth. Look at this. This is the biggest animal you guys know here on earth. That's kind of what he's saying to Job. This is the biggest animal, the most greatest, the most impressive thing there is, right? If you were to go to the zoo today and saw this big animal, you would say, wow, behemoth, that is like the biggest thing. That's kind of the way God's setting it forth to Job. Behemoth, big. And, it talks, and he talks this whole chapter about what this behemoth does, right? About its tail, how strong its bones are, and about how he eats grass, and all these things about behemoth, how much water he drinks out of the river, you know, all these things. This is behemoth he's trying to tell Job about, right? This mighty, impressive animal. And guess what? Who created that animal? You say that's impressive. You say that's a mighty animal. Who created that? It was God. Chapter 41, another animal he talks about. Leviathan. So the whole chapter 41 just talks about Leviathan. What is Leviathan? Again, we don't have Leviathan today. But based on what we read from this, uh, this, uh, these verses here, we know some kind of sea creature, some kind of big sea creature. Maybe it was another dinosaur. I don't know. Some people think maybe it was, you know, like an alligator or something. I don't know. We don't know. Language changes over time. But we read the verses and we see that Leviathan means some kind of big sea creature, a huge sea creature, maybe a whale. I don't know, a whale or a shark or something. A huge sea creature, Leviathan. Basically, it's the analog to Behemoth. Behemoth is a big creature on land. Leviathan is a big creature in the water. 
So God talks about Leviathan and how impressive it is, right? You can't put a hook into its nose. That's what he says. It's not you're gonna go, you can't go fishing for a Leviathan, right? Right? You can't, you, can't, uh, <clears throat> you can't play with him like it's some kind of bird or whatever. No, this is a huge, a huge sea creature, right? It says in chapter 41. And he goes on through all the, uh, the details about it, right? About how big and impressive, how impressive it is, right? Right? The arrow cannot make him flee, right? You can shoot arrows at it. It would be no big deal. Sharp stones are under him. It doesn't matter, right? That's how big and impressive it is, right? And again, the implication is the same. Look at this. If you take out all the sea creatures, what's the biggest and the best? It's Leviathan, right? If you want to see what's the best animal, Leviathan. That's the sea creature you want to be, right? The mightiest, the biggest, the most impressive. Who created that? Again, answer, God created that. God is greater than Leviathan. God is greater than Behemoth. God is the creator of everything. God made everything. And then, that's it. That's all God really has to say. That's the end of his answer to Job. In chapter 42, he just tells Job's friends, hey, you guys have been saying stuff wrong. Go make some offerings and get yourself right with me. And they do that. And then the famous ending, uh, God restores a lot, of, a lot of stuff to Job, right? Gives him some riches back and he has kids again. And then he lives a long life and he dies. Let's look at this. So let's look carefully again at chapters 38 to 41. The answer the question, on every, the question on, everyone's, on everyone's mind is this. Why? Right? That's what we want to know. We know the answer. Why did you make Job go through all this? Why does he have to suffer? Why, God? Why? We read through, I summarized the entirety of God's answer to Job. And basically, we see from that, he doesn't even answer the question at all, right? He talks about creation. He talks about behemoth. He talks about Leviathan. He talks about everything but the answer. But that is his answer. The answer is that God needs no defense. He doesn't need to answer the question of why. Why, why, why? We want to know that. It would sure make us feel good, right? That's the one on everyone's mind, right? That's, that's the question we think this book is about, right? We think this book is about, oh, it explains us, gives the reason why Job had to suffer. But it doesn't. There is no reason. There is no answer. There is no defense. What is God's defense? His defense is, I am God. I created everything. I know everything. I am more powerful than everything. If you guys understand that and accept that, then you can accept me and accept the way I do things. Basically, we ask the question, God, why do I suffer? And God tells us, you are foolish to even ask that question. Do you trust me? Do you trust me, the person, the thing that can create all life, all heaven, all earth, all animals? Do you trust me? And the answer is, yeah, we should. Job trusted God the whole time. Job never cursed God. Job never turned his back on God. And in the end, Job did accept what happened from God. And that's really the answer. 
it's not a particularly satisfying answer. We wish God would give us the, the, the real life answer, but we have to understand this. We have to understand a few things about this book. This book really tells us not about why we suffer, but how people suffer. That's the real lesson of Job. It's to give us an example of how he did it, not why. It's not a why answer. It's a how question. Because guess what? Suffering is part of human existence. God says that repeatedly through the Bible. And it's a true statement. We will never, ever, ever in our lives escape suffering. Not ever. Everyone's going to have something bad happen to them. Period. In the story. Right? Everyone is going to die. No one here is going to say, I'm living forever. Right? And whenever someone dies, it's sad. It's not happy. Right? Some of you guys know this. Um, you, know, you may have observed I've been busy and out recently because uh, yesterday my grandmother died. She died uh, yesterday, yesterday in the AM. And uh, I told some of you guys about this and some of you guys know about it. And you know, a lot of people would say, hey, she lived to be 95 years old, right? Nothing to feel bad about. And you live so long, right? Well, guess what? I still feel bad. I still feel like I'm suffering, right? I lost my grandmother, right? And a lot of my family feel the same way too. Even though you live 95 years old, is it still bad? Yeah, right? You could live to be 150 years old. And I bet when you die, you still might not feel too happy about that or your family would be sad about it, right? Or whatever. It's part of life. Are we gonna get sick one day? Yeah, you could be healthy for a long, long time, right? One day, you get a cold or a flu or something, or who knows, out of nowhere, something will happen, right? There's no one that can say, I am impervious. I am, you know, you know, Superman. Nothing ever happens to me. Suffering is part of our lives. God has even promised that in the Bible. He did not ever promise, guess what? You follow me, sunshine, lollipops, and roses forever. No. He says, guess what? You'll still have affliction. You'll still have trials and persecution and sufferings. It's part of life. What Job teaches us is not that we avoid it, it's how we deal with it, right? Because we will never understand it, not in a million years. We don't know why stuff like this will happen. I can't explain it to you. I can't explain to you why your family member has this horrible disease, or why your family member died, or why your friend lost his job, or why this person had to go through this trial, or this temptation, or this hardship. I can't tell you. The only person that knows is the one that created everything. The one that knows where the eagle makes his nest. The one that knows how all these animals get their food, and how the darkness goes, and the light goes, and how everything in the world operates. And that's God. We can't understand it. God can't explain it to, to us. He couldn't explain to Job back then. He can't explain to now to us now. We accept this as part of how we are, and we learn how to deal with this. We learn from this book that suffering isn't always a result of sin. Job didn't do some sin, and this is the instant punishment. We have to understand that in our lives. Sometimes we suffer not because of what we do, but because this is the way things ought to be and part of what it is. We learn from Job that actually suffering sometimes is part of our own spirituality, right? For Job, it was a mark of his spirituality, right? It's not just, I'm punishing you for your sins. Job, this is a test of your strength, a test of his faith, of his famous patience. 
that through all this, he's faithful to God. He follows God. He stands up for God. He gives us that example of one that dealt with all that. And again, when we look through all these chapters, it is a much more full picture of who he was. Job was not Superman either, right? Sometimes we tell the story when we tell the story to like the elementary school kids, right? It makes it seem like he's Superman. Oh, his family died. He lost all his riches. He was faithful. The end. But we read these verses here. He was much like you and I. His family died. He's lost his riches. He was depressed. He was sad. He had people tell him all this horrible crap about his life, telling him he's a bad guy. He felt horrible. But he knew that the solution wasn't to, you know, turn his back from God. His solution was to call to God, to pray to God. Yes, he prayed some questions to God too, like, God, why me? type questions, right? Yeah. And if you think about it in our lives, how we react to pain, suffering, and sorrow, you know, I feel like that's the same way I react sometimes. Something bad happens to me. I've felt bad things happen to me in my life recently right now, right? I feel the same thing. I get sad. I'm not Superman. I learn about all the stuff happening with grandma. Guess what? I'm sad. I'm not happy, right? Right? And other stuff happens, you know, bad stuff happens. People ask questions and stuff, right? Sometimes people aren't nice. People are stupid. They'll say dumb things like Job's friends, and we deal with this in our lives. Oh, this bad thing happened to you? And people say the, the improper, the unright thing, right? And we deal with it, right? And all these sufferings, unhappiness, we go through these ups and downs, these peaks and valleys, just like Job. But what do we need to learn from this book? We learn from what, how he dealt with it. That he, in the end, had to turn to the one that could comfort him. The one that knew the answers. To accept what God did and what God allows. That we know that all things through God work out for good. That he has his reason that is greater than any reason we can understand or we can comprehend. That's what Job did. His life, is a, his life as a whole is a testament. Not just the simple version, but seeing the up and down. To see that, hey, he did it. He did it through all the ups and downs and his emotional roller coaster. We will do the same. Can we do the same? He did it, we can do it. And I think these chapters, the missing part of Job, really makes the story a lot more rich and a lot more applicable to us, right? Because we don't have to feel like, oh, Job is Superman, we'll never be like him. I can never have his faith. When it goes bad, I'm going to curse God. No, he wasn't Superman either. He was just a guy that was faithful in the end, that went through the emotional roller coasters up and down. Then when we go through our life, we know it's coming. It's inescapable. The roller coaster is coming. Do we know to stay on, to stay faithful, right? That's what our faith is. Martin Luther has his famous quote, right? Faith is a living and unshakable confidence, a belief in the grace of God, so assured that a man would die a thousand deaths for its sake. But we die a thousand deaths and still be faithful to God. We face a thousand sufferings, a thousand perceived injustices. Hope so. All right, let's pray. Dear God, uh, we thank you for uh, 
giving us this time here to reflect on the book of Job. He's a great character. He's great because he's like us. He's great because he shows us how we can be. We can be faithful through suffering, faithful through sorrow, faithful through everything, even through the ups and downs, highs and lows. Lord, we ask that you give us that same faith, that same strength, that same patience that Job had, that whatever we face, we remain true to you, God. We know we don't have the answers. We know you have the answers. And we'll get those answers when we get to heaven one day, I'm sure, right? But we know that we ought to continue in our faith, in our comfort, to follow you, Lord. Thank you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have the ushers come up right now and take the offering.